Okay, in the book of Acts chapter 10. And last week we read about this vision that Peter had of this sheet coming down that was filled up with all sorts of different animals. And God told him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat what, what God has, has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And God repeated this to Peter three times. And in the Scriptures, this, this nature of repeating something multiple times means that there's a tremendous emphasis here. And, and uh, uh, sometimes He calls uh, people's names more than once where He's really trying to underscore something. So three times He told Peter this. Peter was pondering on this as we had learned about last time. And then let's pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. While Peter was reflecting on this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear a message from you. So he invited them in and he gave them lodging. Okay, so Peter was reflecting on this vision that he had. And while he was reflecting upon it, it says, The Spirit said to him, There's three men looking for you. You're to go with them without misgivings. And still Peter didn't know why. All he knew was that God told him him to go with them without any misgivings. And so he comes down and he says, I'm the one you're looking for. For what reason have you come? So Peter knows that he did not, God did not tell Peter why he was to go with them. He just said, go with them. The Spirit said, go with them. And so Peter is inquiring from these men, why do you want me to come? And then they mention this man, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous man. He's God-fearing and he says, he's well spoken of of by the entire nation of the Jews. Now when the Bible talks about the entire nation or all the nation, the Bible doesn't mean all. If the entire nation was speaking well of Cornelius, then Peter will be speaking well of Cornelius, and Peter will have known about Cornelius. Right? So, when he says the entire nation, he means that the circle in which Cornelius lives, the entire nation of the Jews around which Cornelius lives, is speaking well of him. And this may seem to you like a very trivial point. Why am I focusing in on this? Because many times in the Bible you will see references to all or entire. And our definition of all is a little bit different at times than the way the Scriptures use the definition of all. And he says that he's been divinely directed by an angel to send for you. And now look what Peter does. Peter invites them in and he gave them lodging. What I want to look at today is an issue of racism. You say, well, how am I going to get racism out of this? And The Jews did not associate with Gentiles. They didn't talk to them. They didn't greet them. You say, well, how do you know? Because it says in in the Gospel according to to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, if you greet only your brothers, 
What are you doing more than others? Do not Gentiles even do the same? So Jesus is saying to them, don't greet just your brothers, your Jewish brothers. You're to greet others beyond just your Jewish brothers. And here, Peter invites them in and he gave them lodging. Now, remember this thought and, and we'll read a little bit more. Now, now in, in uh, continuing on in verse 23. And on the next day he got up and he went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I to him just a man. And he talked with him and he entered and, he, and as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection, even when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. Cornelius said four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Okay, so Peter, then in verse 23, he invited them in and he gave them lodging. This is extraordinary, that he would invite in Gentiles, two servants of Cornelius and uh, a, a, a soldier, none of them Jews, he would invite them in, although the centurion we know was God-fearing because he was like Cornelius, it tells us earlier in this chapter. But they were not Jews and he invited them in and he allowed them to stay with him. Let me try to paint this picture for you a little bit more so you might get a sense of what's going on here. When I first went to school in kindergarten in the early 1960s, after the first day of school, the parents came to pick us up and they had the children assemble around the flagpole. And I guess we said the Pledge of Allegiance or something and they were saying a few songs. And they had all the children hold hands in a circle around the flagpole. And I remember this. And this was my first day of kindergarten. And that is the year that integration first started in New York State. And they had bussed in some black children from New York City, from the project, and they bussed them into our suburban school, and they were in school with us. And I happened to be standing next to a, a little, uh, a, a, a black child, and his name was Darren Earl. And we were told to hold hands, and I held his hand, didn't think about it at all. And we were holding hands in this circle. And when I got done, and I went, went and, and the parents were standing around, I, I went to my, to my mother. And she said to me, you were holding a black boy's hand. 
Nothing registered to me. I didn't even know what she was talking about. There was nothing there. Now, to give you an understanding of where my mother was on all of this, my mother, being an immigrant herself, used to march with Martin Luther King in New York City with his group in New York City. So there were whites that marched with him, but it was a huge thing for a white woman to be marching with Martin Luther King and and, and, and the groups of black people that would be marching in New York City. That's how progressive my mother was. We didn't... I never remember a racist comment in my home. I always remember my mother supporting the underdogs, no matter who the underdog was, supporting them, and how supportive she was of the Martin Luther King movement. And here was this, this, this black child, and I had held his hand, but it was a big thing, and then my mother told me, I want you to invite him over our house next time, and then he can ask his mother if he can come to our home. And he came to our home, and I remember this, this boy walking into our home and looking around, and it was a very typical middle-class suburban home, smaller than, significantly smaller than the house that I now have. And he walked in the home, and he looked all around, and he said, how many families live in this house? And I said, just my family. He was amazed. And here we were, we were sitting around the table. My mother had made us sandwiches. And, and we always had pet dogs. And the dogs were like part of the family. And, and dogs to them were very unusual. They didn't have dogs in the projects where he lived. And I remember he, he was eating and he had put his sandwich down by his side in his hand. And one of the dogs came up and just thought it was a, a treat and just ate the whole sandwich right out of his hand. And how surprised he was, and my mother made him a new sandwich, and we all laughed. And then his mother invited me to their home. And I remember uh, uh, going home with him on the bus. And so my mother encouraged this. And I remember going to the projects and seeing all these black people, and there were no white people around. And I noticed this was very odd. Where's the white people? It was all blacks. And I remember going up, into his apartment, and it was so small. And I remember his mom feeding us snacks after school, and I was used to eating some significant snacks, and they were just a very small amount of food. And I said to him, can I have more? And he looked at his mom, he says, he wants more. And his mom looked at me and and said, okay, I'll give you more. But it was a big thing for them. This was a huge thing for Peter to invite them in and give them lodging. Even if God told them, go with them, he could well have said, because it's two days journey, he could well have said, hang out in town, come back tomorrow, we'll leave first thing in the morning. And that would have been totally acceptable. But God was doing something on Peter's heart. God was beginning to change him. And I remember there were some other black children that then started inviting me to their home. And I would invite them to my home. And I remember going into this one home, and it was in the projects. And it was one room. And in that one room lived the mother. There was no father there, but lived the mother and the grandmother. And uh, two boys and a girl. And they all lived in one room. And I saw the beds on one side of the room. I saw... The bathtub on another side of the room, I saw the commode right there, just with a little curtain in front of it. And I saw the kitchen sink right there. I'm thinking, 
this is very strange for me. But I love these little kids. I didn't know anything about there being any difference in color. It was as I got older that I started to get infected by the things of the world that I understood where the problems were. But these two little kids, Darren Earl and Timmy Harris, became my friends. And even when the, the race riots were going on strong and there was this great division between the blacks and the whites in, by the time I was in junior high school, these kids remained my friends. Even throughout high school, even when we would pass each other, we would nod to each other like we were okay with each other. Even though we had to remain separate because of the divisions that were occurring because of the culture, we were okay with each other because we had grown up as friends. This was huge for him. And then he goes on and he says to them in verse 28, so, so it's two days' journey there. He waits till the next morning. It's two days' journey back. And he takes six other brethren with him. And we know six, not because of that verse, because from, from uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 12, it says, The Spirit told me to go without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me. So we know that the number of brethren who accompanied Peter were six. So Peter brought a bunch of other brethren with him. He didn't go alone. This is a very good lesson for us that when we're out witnessing, if at all possible, bring another. And so he went with six other people. He says, you know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now remember Peter's vision. Peter's vision was a sheet coming down Animals in that, in, that, in that big sheet, and God says, arise, kill, and eat. It didn't have anything in particular to do with calling people unholy or unclean. But remember, it says that Peter was reflecting on this, and God began to show him more. As God touches your heart, you begin to reflect on this and say, God, show me more. And God will show you more. There was more to this than just what he had seen in the vision. There was more to this. And so he, he says, God has shown me that I should call no man unholy or unclean. You know how unlawful it is. Now that law was not the law of Moses. This was the Mishnaic law. This was law that developed over time within Israel. It had nothing to do with God's law. Mishnaic law was different than the law of Moses. The law of Moses did not forbid Jews to dialogue with, 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 with Gentiles, did not forbid them from having them in their house. This was man's law came in that brought division. And this is what racism is. It is cultural things that bring division. And Peter says, God has shown me that I am to call no man unholy or unclean, and that's why I've come to you. Without God having showed me, I never would have done this. And God is beginning to break down this wall of racism that had occurred. The Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And this wall begins to come down. The other thing I want to mention before I continue on that thought is that it says back in verse 19, when Peter was reflecting on this, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these men are looking for you. So you see... Peter had a vision, 
the Spirit speaks to him and says, these men are looking for you. You God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through the Scriptures. He speaks to us, as we discussed last time, through circumstances. He speaks to us in diverse ways. It is much better when He speaks to us, and we were making reference to that, to say, I had a thought. I had an impression from the Scriptures. Rather than to say, God told me to do this. And the reason I say that is because if God has absolutely told you, how can anyone ever contest with that? Now, you may have heard wrongly. You may have discerned wrongly. Maybe the still small voice you heard in your own mind was just your own mind. It happens to me all the time. It really does. I think God is speaking to me. Go there and there will be a parking space there. Whatever. There's no parking space. It wasn't God. It was me. It was my own mind. My own mind speaks to me all the time. And I'm trying to discern, is this God or is this me? If it was God, it really would have come to pass. I went to counsel with a, with a young man and his wife once to, to convince him that he really ought not to drop out of graduate school, the two of them. They really ought to come and, and I'll, they can come and work for me in graduate school. And, and uh, I had this project where I needed some applied mathematicians, and I thought they'd really be good at it, but they were dropping out of the applied math program at Rice because they felt it wasn't, wasn't relevant enough to things, and he'd already been interviewing with Microsoft. And I sat with him and his, his father, her father, and so this young man's father-in-law was sitting there, and I was talking with him. He says, he says, well, and this young man says, well, you know, God told me that I should just stop school for now and go and work for Microsoft. Oh, I said, you know, that is amazing. I've walked with God for many years. I have never heard Him speak to me that clearly. He was, he was a bit taken back by that. And then I began to talk about, you know, graduate school and the things. And He ended up coming, and they, both of them ended up coming and working for me and getting their PhDs and doing great work, and they have much better jobs than if they had been working at Microsoft. But you see, when, God, when somebody says, God told me, I mean, what can I say? You know, what can somebody say if you say, God told me this? Well then, what can I say? Just going to walk away. But knowing that he really didn't understand what he was saying. It is much better to say, you know, I had a thought, I had an impression from the scriptures about this. Rather than to say, God told me this, God told me that. Because you're going to find yourself turning out to be a liar. Because you're going to find yourself saying, God told me this, and then you're disobeying that very thing, because God never told you to do it. Do you see what I mean? It is much better not not to invoke God's name too strongly on something that's an impression upon us. If you read it in the Scriptures, God said it. That is very clear. But when it comes to our everyday life, if you say, well, God told me to, to move in with this young woman. And you're a God. God told me to move in with her. Right? I can tell you, you're wrong. I know you're wrong. Because the scriptures talk about this sort of thing and they describe, describes it quite differently. So there are some things that are very clear. But there are thoughts and impressions that we get that it's better for us to keep that to ourselves and if we're sharing us, sharing it, to talk about it as, an, as a thought, as an impression, rather than to start invoking God's name on it. Because it just keeps us out of trouble. 
So anyway, he goes in and he starts to share with them. And then in verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So Peter says, God has shown me not to be racist, but to welcome in the Gentiles. God showed this to him. And after this event, we're going to read in chapter 11 that he goes back to Jerusalem. The rest of the Jewish believers, the Christians, the Jews who believe now in Jesus, are very upset with Peter for having gone. Very upset. How could you have brought the gospel to the Gentiles? And to us, we look at this and we're like, Duh! I mean, it's not just for the Jews. They didn't know that. They really didn't know that. They thought it was just for the Jews. And you say, well, they should have known better. They should have known it. I would have known it. They should have known it. I mean, they're so spiritual. You know, I, I had one, one student in my office not too long ago, and he was saying, I don't understand you know, how they could have had slaves in the Bible. And why God allowed that. Didn't they know that slavery was wrong? Didn't they know that it was wrong? And I said, you know, God actually came and there was a culture of people that terribly abused their slaves. And God laid down laws. If you're going to have slaves, this is the way you have to treat them. And the Bible talks about how don't slander a slave because his angel may go and cry out to God and then God's going to be after you. These are, in, these are verses in the Old Testament. And then comes the New Testament. There's other parameters around this, like we read last week, where Paul tells uh, uh, Philemon, you know, you really ought to let this guy go. But if you're going to have slaves, remember, these are brothers. And so God was working on people. He said, yeah, but, but they should have known better. He said, you know, you're taking 21st century mentality and putting it upon these people. Times change. And I gave him an example. I said, did you drive here today to campus to talk to me? He says, yeah, I drove. I said, oh, you drove here. I said, did you drive alone? He said, yeah, I drove alone. I said, you are terrible. You are a terrible human being. Do you not know that CO2 that is being burned in your car to get you here? is filling the earth with, with, with greenhouse gases. Don't you know that? He says, yeah, I know it adds to the greenhouse. I said, you know it. You know it. And you still did it? You could have at least taken public transportation. In 50 years, they're going to look at you and say, how could you have done that? Didn't you know that you were contributing to greenhouse gases? Didn't you know? They're going to say, you are mean, evil. How could you have done that? They're going to say, well, it's you know, everybody did it. We, we, we knew, but, you know, it was just the culture of the times. This is what we were doing. You can't take the culture of this time and automatically translate it to some other time. Or else we're all going to look really bad. But this thing of, of, of racism, God is now breaking down. And He is showing us. He's showing us so clearly that you can't call any man unrighteous or unclean. And if we have residents within us, areas of racism toward any other group of people, any other people group, this is wrong and God says He wants it broken. 
God is making that clear. This was such a profound change that God was bringing in. And Peter is the one to usher this in. Now, you would think that after Peter has received this revelation, after Peter has come and preached to them, and they get saved, let me, let me just fo- follow one other point. Look in verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. Peter would not let this guy bow down to him. And we understand that, right? You know, this man, Peter, who some people call, consider as the first pope, wouldn't let people bow down to him. He would not let people bow down to him. He'd pick them up. And he'd say, well, he was worshipping him. But he, he didn't say, okay, you can stay down there, but just don't worship me. He says, get up. I'm just a man just like you. He knew his own faults as a human being. And he wouldn't let any man fall before him. And though Cornelius was a God-fearing man, and he believed in the God of Israel, he was not saved. And we know he wasn't saved because we know over in, uh, in chapter 11, verse 17, it says, verse 17, Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. So God saved Cornelius and his family after this event, after the preaching of the Word. At this time, he was a God-fearing man, but he still wasn't saved. So Peter comes in, and you'd think that now Peter understands. Peter is the great one who has brought this revelation from God about racism and about distinguishing people. Wouldn't Peter now understand this? You'd think he has this down better than anyone, right? Better than anyone, Peter would understand that racism is wrong. That separating classes of people based on their national origin or based on their their religion is wrong to do. Well, look in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is, is, is giving his testimony... And he's speaking about Peter, how he met Peter and, 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 and the influence Peter had had on him. Now remember, Peter has two names. He has, a, he has this Jewish name, he has this, this Greek name. And they're used interchangeably in the Bible. So there, there's this guy, he's called Simon, he's called Peter, and he's also called Cephas. Alright, so he's referred to by those three different ways. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is referring to Peter who's also called Cephas. Verse 11, Galatians 2.11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, so just to put this in context, Antioch was Paul's church, the church that Paul was pastoring along with Barnabas. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so what does all this mean? Peter comes to visit Antioch. 
Right? So he comes to visit the Antioch church, and Antioch is full of Gentiles that had become Christians. In Jerusalem, there was mainly Jews that had become Christians, that had become believers in Jesus Christ. So when Peter comes to visit Antioch, he's sitting there having the fellowship meal with all these Gentile Christians. And he's fine with it. God had spoken to him that called no man unholy or unclean. But then after a while, some of his brethren from Jerusalem, meaning from James, James was, was, the, was the leader of the Jerusalem church, some brethren come from Jerusalem. And Peter sees that there's other Jews coming from his hometown, and he doesn't want to be seen sitting with the Gentiles and eating with them. So he separates and has a different table for the Jewish believers and lets the Gentile believers eat by themselves. What's going on here? Peter, of all people, should have known, right? What's with Peter? All of a sudden, he's afraid to be with them. And I understand this. I really understand this. I was a little kid with these little black kids with me. And I was fine with it. But then as I got older, I couldn't be seen with them. Because of what the culture of the times was doing. To ride in the same car with them would have, you know, people would have looked very strange at us. To have them coming into my home, I would have felt really strange. Because we weren't little kids anymore. This may sound odd to you, but this was the way the times were. So I understand what Peter was going through. You know, he wants to eat with them. But you can't because... The culture. The culture doesn't allow it. And Paul comes and he confronts this. And he says to Peter, how can you walk in such hypocrisy? And he says, I reproved him. I confronted him in the presence of all. You think he'd pull Peter aside and say, Peter, it's not good what you're doing. I don't want to embarrass you. You know, you're kind of like really special among the apostles. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're the guy who had the keys. And, you know, I'm I'm just the least of the apostles and I don't want to bother you here. No, he stood up in front of everybody and says, This man, Cephas, I call him out because he's walking in utter hypocrisy. He won't eat with the Gentiles. He'll only eat with the Jews and he's caused all of these Jews to walk in hypocrisy with him. If you, being a Jew, ask the Gentiles not to live like Gentiles but but to live like Jews, how can you do this? You have been given a revelation. And that's what the Scriptures say, to whom much is given, much is expected. Peter was given the revelation. Much was expected of him. And Paul called him on it and said, you're walking in hypocrisy, Peter. And you say, well, how could Peter have done that? Wouldn't he know better? How could he have done that? He was the one who was given this revelation. And I'm telling you, it's because he has feet of clay, just like you and me. It's because he has weaknesses within him, just like you and me. If you look over in Romans, look look in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. This is Paul speaking. 
For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willingness is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. You see what I mean? Don't you ever feel this way? I know what's right. How could I have done this? How could I have said this? How could I have used that language? I know better than that. And then you have to cry out with Paul, the very good that I wanted to do, I I didn't do. But I ended up doing the very thing that I didn't want to do. In verse 24, Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. You know, I've had, I've had students come to me and say, you know, how could you have done that? Don't, you're the one who taught us differently. How could you have done that? Trust me, if you lived with me, you would see me do all sorts of things that you'd be utterly amazed at. Ask my wife, ask my children what I can be like, how I can lose my temper, how I can say things that I really ought not to say. But I know it doesn't just happen to me, it happens to other people too, like Peter and Paul. Don't put your faith in the scriptures, in the word of God and in Jesus Christ in an individual because that individual will really let you down sometimes. You'll be amazed at what people of God have the capability of doing. Look at Peter. This man who was given this revelation of how wicked racism is and how God wants that broken and who then preached the first message about this topic that you're not to have show racism. You're never to call any man unholy or unclean. This Peter ends up walking in separation from the Gentiles. And Paul called him on it publicly because the scriptures say, to whom much is given, much is expected. And the scriptures go on to say, Paul teaches later on in the scriptures, that if there's a leader in the church and they have publicly sinned, you publicly reprove them. That was the instruction. They are publicly to be reproved. And you say, well, Peter must have been really upset with Paul. I mean, to be embarrassed like that. And it's not just public to that little group of people. Guess what happened? Paul happened to write it in one of his letters to the Galatians. Why do the Galatians have to know about it? I mean, let's just leave this with the Antioch church. Do you have to write about it? And then he puts it on the internet because he puts it in the Bible. And now every Christian, everybody who ever reads the Bible reads about Peter's blowing it. I mean, that's a bit much. He just puts it right up there. It is right there for everybody to see. Peter was really publicly reproved on this thing. And I'm glad he was because it helps me to see that Peter, even 
we know that Peter made some mistakes and said some silly things when Jesus was around. But even after the Spirit came upon him, even after he preached salvation to the Jews, even after he preached salvation to the Samaritans, even after he preached salvation to the Gentiles, and his first message was on racism, that he himself fell into it once again. That gives me hope. That's why I love this book. Because it doesn't set before me a bunch of ideals that I can never attain to. So I can be like that. Actually, I'm kind of like that. That makes me feel good. Now, how, did, how does Peter feel about this whole situation with, with, with Paul writing all this kind of stuff about him and even putting it in letters that go on out? Look in, 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 uh, in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, that's a, if you can find Revelation, go a few books before that. So, so, so you'll go through John, uh, 1 John and stuff and you'll find... Peter. So a few books before Revelation, go to 2 Peter, the second book of Peter, chapter 3, verse 15. Here Peter is writing many years later. And regard the patience of our Lord, this is 2 Peter 3.15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother, Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Look at what Peter does. Peter says, I want you to observe the writings of Paul, just as you do the writings of the rest of the scriptures. He equates Paul's writing with Scripture. Peter himself, knowing that Paul has written to the Galatians, talking about the public reproof of Peter, Peter says, the things that he's written are good. Not only are they good for your edification, I place them right up where I do the rest of the Scriptures. This is a man who truly walks in humility who can take a public reproof like that and to say, it is a good thing. I deserved it. You would think that Peter would not have fallen into this. But he does. And I understand how he does. Because just because we have grasped something, and we feel, I got it, I understand it now, doesn't mean that we're going to walk in it in total strength because very often the flesh overcomes us. And so in the Spirit we want to walk right, but we don't. And this is to encourage you to say you will find weaknesses in your life, things that you will do in life that you'll look back and say, how could I have done this? Oh, man. Here I am trying to be a witness and I've just blown my witness. My experience with unbelievers is this, is if they have seen you blown your witness, that if you go to them and ask forgiveness and confess that I was wrong with this, that does more for them than your holy attitude. I'll give you an example. There was a, a guy who used to torment me in graduate school. 
and he used to bother me all the time, and he knew I was a Christian, and he would, he, you know, he would just mock me in the way he'd come walking in the lab. He'd come walking in the lab, he'd say, God bless you. And, he, you know, this is, this is what I say to people, and so he'd say this to me. And, and uh, um, he'd, he'd hang centerfold pictures on the wall. And so I'd come around the corner, and this would be my face, and he'd be, you know, standing there with a big grin. And if my reactions didn't work, he'd say, oh, you must have sinned today. Your reaction didn't work. You must be a sinner. And one day, I really lost my temper with him. He, he did something. It wasn't that major, but it was just building, building. And I got upset with him, and I thought, man, I've really blown it. And I went to him. I said, you know, Vahid, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I, I shouldn't have lost my temper. Please forgive me. And, and there was another postdoc standing there as well. And he said, you know, you're just like us. I said, you know, you're right. I really am, just like you. I have the same struggles that you have. The same things that you have. And from that day, there was something that was broken there that, that had been there before that gotten gotten in the way of, of a proper relationship. Where I was a little bit different than them. And now, we were all the same, but I was trying to walk according to different ideals. So I had found that when I'm open with my life, with with unbelievers, that, yeah, this was a weakness of mine. Forgive me. That they're amazingly forgiving, in the sense, once I've asked for forgiveness, and then something breaks down where they see that we're not just these amazingly holy creatures, but we have the same struggles that they have, but we're trying to walk in a different light. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for the reality of the Scriptures, that we see weakness within great men. We see you coming and tearing down the walls that humanity has built. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercies. Lord, I pray for these young people, that if there's struggles of racism, Father, that they would see how evil that is and it would be torn down. And if there's failures in their life, that they will see that they struggle with the same things that Peter did, the same things that Paul said he did, the very weakness, the very things that he didn't want to do, he ended up doing. Father, I pray for these young people that you cause them to walk according to, their way, to your way and not to abandon the faith when they see other believers stumble, even believers that they look up to, not to abandon the faith, but to realize that men fall. Father, thank you for your great mercies. Thank you, Lord, for showing these things in the Scriptures. Lord, thank you for these men that wrote the Scriptures, did not candy-coat it, did not obscure these things, did not hide them, but they wrote about their own weaknesses, their own hardships. They wrote about their own failures, their own blunders, and they let it be there for everyone to see. Father, thank you for the hope that it gives us. Lord, take these young people and grant them hope, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.